something powerful, isn't there? You have seed. Something powerful about entering into worship. What is it? What is it about a song? What is it about, you know, just coming together and gathering around and worshiping the Lord and lifting it up in song? You know, one of the things I love about being a part of this church is the worship. I, I've, I've so come to appreciate the times that we have to gather together to worship and lift up praises and, and praise Him. And, and I want to, you know, I just, that's what I, I look forward to Sunday mornings as I gather to just to come and, and lift, lift up a praises to Him and honor Him and ask the question why is that? What is it? What is it about a song? What is it that even, you know, even if you are not a believer here, what is it that draws you even to the secular songs and, and you're, you're drawn in to, to sing them out or maybe uh, do your own little air band in the car or whatever it might be? What is it? What is it about a song that's in us that we want to express st- truth or what we believe through, through a song? Well, I think it's something about how we've been created. But God, that he, he's, he's put in our hearts a desire to express ourselves in this way through music, through song, through this aspect of art. You know, you, why do we go to concerts? Because there's, there's something about that. Why do, we, why do they pack out venues to hear artists express themselves in song? But it's because of how we how we've been created. Sue and I will, uh, we volunteer for Compassion International. Uh, we will, uh, throughout the year, uh, it's, our, our, it's our way to get into concerts for free. Just, but just so you know that. But, but, uh, but we, uh, we are actually Compassion Advocates, and we will go to a variety of concerts. We've been at three or four concerts this past year, and we, will, uh, we like the table, and we will help Compassion, get children sponsored. And Sue and I, we sponsor two children ourselves, uh, one in Bolivia and then one in Tanzania. And uh, uh, I think that's, I don't know, but it's some word like that, young boy. And so we, we go to these concerts, and uh, we will help people get connected with children that they can sponsor, and it's a great program. And if you never have sponsored a child through Compassion, I would definitely encourage you to do so. But one of the things that we love is that, because we don't have a ticket, so we don't have a seat, but we will stand during the concerts, and uh, while everybody's seated, and, and we don't have to be at the table, we'll stand at the back of the auditorium, leaning against the wall. And, uh, and uh, we, will, uh, we will just there and enjoy the concert, but all, more often than not, with some of our artists, we'll just start praising God because we're going to these Christian concerts. The last one we were at was Casting Crowns. We went there, and uh, we were just at the back, you know, with the group just lifted up praises to God, you know, and, and singing those songs like, Who am I? That the Lord of all the earth. You know that song, right? Would dare, care to know my name, would care to, I have to write the words out, to feel my hurt, or or, or, or this one, oh, but the voice of truth, all right, tells me a different story. I know, I'll keep my day job, right? But we love it. We were up, uh, we were up uh, just uh, a weekend ago, Friday. We took Friday off and headed up to Gaylord. They had this uh, t- uh, big ticket festival. My shirt, 
Can you tell? Really cool shirt, right? And yeah, and uh, so uh, we're up there and enjoying the concert. And uh, Phil Wickham, oh yes, you know, not quite as good as Chris, but he's he's getting there, you know. And we're enjoying it. And then uh, uh, Zach Williams and some other bands. I even saw this one uh, band uh, uh, from West Virginia. It was Bluegrass Gospel, you know. It's like whoa, okay, called uh, uh, Chosen Road, and uh, it, it was a Great, and so, you know, we, we love it. Songs of worship, they're a vital part of my walk with Jesus Christ and my relationship with God. Now, we've been in this series called Poet's Corner where we've been looking at different poetry passages and, and the reality that about poetry is that many times poetry is expressed together with music. Uh, music and Poetry are related in many ways. And throughout history, you will find time and time again where poetry has been turned into musical lyrics and it's expressed in song and sung out. And, and you could say in this way that, it's, that really um, a, a songwriter is one form of, of a poet. And we see that throughout all the Bible. In fact, you look, we looked at one of the longest psalms, Psalms, on 119 last week, a great sermon on Psalms 119. If you didn't, we're here. You need to go check out our website, and you need to listen to that this week. Uh, great understanding of, of, of the Word of God and its vital necessity, and it's sung in song. The, 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 early, the, the Hebrews sung it that way, and we see this throughout this week. And now, so this week, I want us now to take us to the New Testament, um, uh, where we find the Apostle Paul the writer using poetry form that is believed to be a hymn that the early church sang. And so I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. In fact, we looked at it earlier. We read it as our scripture reading. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 is actually, it's believed to be a hymn that Paul used to emphasize as he's writing this letter to the Philippians. Now, I think it's as you're turning to that passage, I, I, I think it's important to see and understand what Paul taught about the importance of songs as an expression of one's faith in Christ. And we see this in other passages. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19, he says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or at least the destruction in your life. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so here I say, if you're going to be married, be married with the Holy Spirit, in essence, uh, filling you and, and you are, uh, know the presence of God and sing it and express it here in song. He goes on to say, though, in Colossians 3.16, again, he emphasizes here, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, we, we need to let the word, we need to be into the word of God. We need to be grounded into the word of God. But we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, that we might gain wisdom, singing, then he says this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. And so here, again, he's saying, if you are you know, you're growing in your relationship with God, and you're into his word, which is part of walking in a relationship with God, you will see that word of God come out 
in psalm, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, the word psalms refers obviously to the book of psalms that we have in our Old Testament. And so it's a collection of songs written under the direction of the Holy Spirit, inspired word of God uh, that ancient leaders like David, Moses, and Solomon wrote. When he refers to this word hymn, all right, you are thinking of that hymn that we used to have in, you know, in the chair in front of you, and, and that green one that we have here in the back room, all right? But no, here, I think it's important to understand, hymns uh, is speaking of, of a song that gives praise, honor, and thanksgiving to God. So any song that would give praise, honor, and giving to God could be defined, in essence, as a hymn. And not necessarily, not necessarily divine inspiration part of the Word of God, but they come from the Word of God as, as we study it in, in, in that regard. And, but it's not considered part of Scripture. Today, we're actually looking at a hymn, all right? And we read it earlier that is also inspiration, inspired by, by God. And then we, he uses the word spiritual songs. And this is describing a song that's used in a more general way. A spiritual song might, it might express the joy of one's salvation. Or speak of the grace, how you've experienced the grace of Christ. And, 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 and someone would just start to write write up uh, uh, in a sense of poetry that they would put to music and it's the expression of that. Or what, how you've experienced the truth of God transform you and give you freedom. And so you might find songs out there. And so many of the, many of the artists we have today, they're writing spiritual songs where they've, they've encountered God and it's been a powerful, and they write a song uh, about Zach Williams. has many, many a song that I heard a couple of Friday nights ago. That, that is a, a spiritual song in, in that way. And so as we come to this passage we're looking at today here in Philippians, here in chapter 2, I think, I think we need to step back. We need to step back to see how it was written in lyrical form. That it was written in this way, I believe, for a purpose. See, Paul, Paul's a great writer. He was known as that. Uh, in fact, there was, you know, some of his critiques and critics of him would say, well, he's, not, not, he's a great writer, but he's not a very good person at speaking, you know. But, and so he would kind of defend himself, and we've seen that in other sermon series that we have done. But Paul was a great writer, and so he would just write these letters to the early church, instructing them. And, man, I, I love digging into a, a lot of Paul's writings and his letters. And it's a great, you know, to, you know break it down and, 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 okay, what's he saying point by point? But here in this passage, Paul's writing along. He's just writing along, and then he throws in a hymn. Say, hold on a second, Paul. I don't know, it's just, do, you, do you regularly do that, you know? But he throws in this hymn. And I begin to ask myself, well, why? And why is, he, why is it written this way? What is the purpose? What's he driving? See, and I think it's this. I think it's this. This passage, it wasn't just meant to be read and meditate on. Even though that is very good. You, every day, I encourage you to read the Word of God and meditate on it. Let it foster in your brain. But Paul here, he says, I, I, this especially, it's not just to be read and meditated, and, 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 that, and also, it, it's, 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 this passage wasn't just meant to be studied by preachers and preached on, even though that is very important, and that's what I'm going to do here this morning. 
But here's the thing I think he's trying to drive home by putting it into poetry form. Is that this passage was to be sung with conviction from one's heart. That's what, when you sing a song, man, you're getting vulnerable. You're, you're coming before God. You're coming for the people around you. And you're singing it out as good or bad as a singer you are. That's conviction. And you're singing this out. See, it's, it's not only, this passage, I think, it's not only a truth to know, a truth to declare, but also a truth to be expressed from the inner parts of our hearts. Of our hearts. So as we look at this passage, I want you to have that perspective. Think about that. Reflect on that in your mind. Have that perspective in your mind. These verses express great truths. They've been dug out by many a, a scholar, many a preacher throughout the years. But here's the thing. They need not to only be understood, but they need to become an inner conviction of your heart if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, he opens this section, and what we didn't read, and I want to read it for us. He opens this section in verses 1 through 4. He says, and he, and he begins to move into what he wants to talk to them about uh, after he addressed them in, in chapter 1. And he goes, if you, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ. So here's the background. He goes, he wants them to be united in Christ. He goes, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Then he says this, man, if you, man, I know I've had impact in your life, but if you want to give me joy in my heart, he goes, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, at being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself, each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so he gives that. And he doesn't put that in poetry form, but he's driving this home. He gives it as really inter introduction to the passage that we're going to look at, the section we're going to look at today. And it's a call. It's a call to live in unity, but a call to live in unity centered around Jesus Christ. If we're going to be unified about anything, we need to be unified in this. It's all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. We've got to be committed to that. That's what's got to be central to how I live life. Jesus, period. And so he's saying, I want you to be united around this. If there's anything that's going to be. If anything's going to give me joy, you need to be united with Christ. And then he gives this example. We read the passage earlier, so I'm not going to read it, and, but I want to break it down. We're going to work through it instead. And so Paul's purpose, really, in writing this letter is, is to give them encouragement, support them. But now he looks to give them, uh, speaking to the lies, to give them encouragement as they face persecution and challenge them. He goes, Hey, as we look to the future, as we look to what's ahead, as we look at really the enemy's desire to destroy the church, man, we've got to be unified. 
we got to unite together. we got to set aside all these other things. And we got to be united, and we got to live like Christ. we got to have the attitude of Christ. we got to have the mindset to life. As, as we look ahead, he challenges them to live in unity with humility, as we see in this passage, with Christ as the center. Now, Paul, he gets to the heart of what will empower them and us to live life in Christ. In times of difficulty as a church. And he says this, there in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now, I, I, I love, I love the, the fact that we are able to use a variety of different translations and even paraphrases. And one, as I, in my study, I, 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 would, I jumped over in this particular to a paraphrase. It's not a word-for-word -word translation or in that regard. But I, I jumped over to the message, and I like how the message put it. And I want to read that for you. It says this. Think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. The very same mind that existed in Christ Jesus that led Christ to give up everything he was and had, that very mind, he's saying, let that very mind be in us. Let that be the mindset that we choose to live by. The only way, here's the thing, the only way we, the church, this church and the church broadly, who follow after Jesus Christ, can stay united as we look to the future and face difficult days as they will come because we understand Scripture that those days are coming. And that is the reality as we look ahead to the coming, second coming of, of Jesus Christ. As we look to that, for every person, for every one of us, we, if, to endure, we need to be united. We need to let the mind of Christ flood our Mine. Here's the truth. You can choose your attitude. Amen. You can choose your attitude. You know, the idea that, oh, this is the way who I am. It's what I am. No, no, no. Paul's saying here, you can change your attitude. You can redeem your attitude. You can choose how you're going to live life. You can approach life expecting always to be served. Or you can approach life looking for opportunities to serve and be about what God's doing. So the question that comes is this. What is it, what is it about Christ's attitude we need to live out in our, our lives? And I think as we work through this passage, we're going to see some things. Well, i got three. All right, I got three. Here's number one. This, this is something you need to even sing about. Christ a Christ-like attitude is one where, first of all, status is not important. Look again at verse 6 and 7. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Again, the message uh, paraphrases this way. He says, it says, he had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. This is our Jesus. 
This is the attitude. Status is not important. Now, you got to think about this. Jesus had status. He had status. Look at what he is. He, it says he's the being of God. That word being means existence. It's the very essence of a person. Your being is the very essence of who you are, who God's created you to be. It's that part of a person that cannot be changed. I'm Mark. Well, his name, my parents, Mark. But I'm, I'm this man who, who God's created in his image to bear his image in likeness. Powerful statement to understand. That's who Christ, but his being, all right, his being uh, is, uh, is that he was, all right, he was God. He was God. This is, a, this is such a great truth because it means Jesus in very nature. Now, he goes on and uses that phrase, very nature, also. That means uh, other translations put it as form of God. The word nature means permanent, constant of a person. It's that very essence of a person, uh, that part of him that her that never changes, that's the unchangeable being. What this means is that Jesus is the very essence and being combined together in the image of God. He is divine. He is unchangeable God himself. He possesses the very attributes of God. But then thirdly, we see that Jesus in his status, he was equal with God. He did, if you look again, uh, the word equality there means to be on equal basis. He was equal. He's an equal part of the Godhead. And he possesses all the qualities, all the attributes of God himself, Jesus Christ. And he chose not to grasp at that. He is God. He was already on an equal basis with God. So we see that Jesus had status. But here's the thing, the incredible thing that Paul puts together in this song that needs to become a conviction, really, of our hearts and our understanding and our belief in who Jesus Christ is. Jesus chose to leave that status behind. Look what he became. It says, he, be he made himself nothing. Now, there are translations that say he emptied himself. In everyday language, this would basically mean he became a nobody. Here is the God, the creator of the universe, comes to earth. He empties himself, chooses not to use his divine attributes, all those things that he had until he was doing the ministry and work of God to reveal who he was and why he had come. And he chooses, he empties himself in that way. He became a nobody. Uh, Christ came looking as a common man. Well, bearing within himself the fact that he was, he was God. He chose to leave that status behind. Secondly, he took on the very nature, it says, the very nature of a servant. What this means is that he became, he became human. He entered the lowest level, even as a, uh, as a, he didn't come in as a king. He didn't come in as a prince. He came in as a servant. It says the very nature of a servant. He didn't appear he didn't just appear, so he took, on, he took it on himself, all that a servant is and does. Even himself, as, as, he, as, he, as uh, he was doing his ministry, I came not to be served, but to serve others. That was the purpose of why he came. And then thirdly, he appeared in human likeness. He became fully man, while also being fully God. The word likeness means that in, by all outwards appearance, he was merely an, a man. Now, here's the thing. In order for Jesus to be able to come 
and be obedient to the work that God the Father had for him in, in ultimately paying our debt of sins, he had to set aside all he was and become that God-man who didn't live for status. Here's the thing. He didn't live for status of who he was, but he chose, I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to live for the glory of my Father and what he's called me to do, and I'm going to walk in that. And so today, you know, you, you think about applying that in our own lives. Today, in our world, so much life is driven by status, right? What's your status on Facebook? Yeah, right. You know, what's your status on Instagram? What, 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 what's your status, right? So much, though, is, is, is driven by, by a performance-based acceptance. And I tell you, it's tough, isn't it? Because this, this, so much of our culture and our, and our world is, is centered around this, this aspect of, of status, a performance-based acceptance in a, in a world where people will show love to you only when you meet their expectations or when you succeed based upon how they define success, or when you reach some level of achievement, whatever that is. If you do good, I love you. If you do bad, I don't love you. And here's the thing. That doesn't bring unity. If that's how we live in the body of Christ, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hinder us. It's going to hinder us. You know, we have this have this kind of mindset throughout all our life that we have to constantly deal with. We all struggle with wanting to pursue status. We compare ourselves, right? And here's the thing, that each, myself included, here's the thing, that daily I gotta, I gotta really look at my life and I gotta look at my walk with Jesus Christ and I, I gotta ask myself, if, if having a certain status is what drives me, is that what drives me? Is that what's driving me? Because, see, that will hinder me in my walk with God and being part of the work he calls us to as the church. As the church. So Christ, he lived with humility, and that humility let God drive. God, that humility let uh, God's will drive him. God's will drive him, not having the status of the world. And then... So we see that Christ-like attitude is one where status is not important. But secondly, where obedience is everything. Look back at verse 8. This is the second thing. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He remained human. Uh, to all of those who live with Jesus, outwardly, he was a human. Again, we see this aspect, the very being. So Jesus treated, just, Jesus was treated um, as one with no status, he chose not to flaunt it, and he was obedient to that. He didn't, no, I'm going to be obedient to what, what God has uh, called me to. And so he's obedient no matter the cost also. Here's the thing. Many people uh, are willing to serve if it doesn't cost them anything. But if there's a price to pay, they suddenly lose interest. And Jesus became obedient to death, even death, as it says there in verse 8, death on the cross. Now, it's important to understand, this isn't the death of a martyr. This is the death of a Savior who willingly allowed himself to be killed. 
And so Christ, here's the thing, he willingly laid down his life for the sins of the world, for you and for me. So Christ-like attitude is one where status is not important, obedience is everything. And here, 30, lastly, rewards, rewards are about eternity. Look again at verse 9. He says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at Jesus' rewards. Look at Jesus' rewards. For Jesus, this becomes the final stage of his call as the Son of God to go to, in regards to going to earth. And, and, and now he's returned to heaven in triumph, and God has highly exalted him. And what this means is that God gave him back all that he emptied, he chose to empty himself of when he left heaven to come to earth. It also means that he gained something. And here's what. He, he didn't, something that he didn't have before, he gained his humanity. He left the Son of God and returned the Son of God and the Son of Man. So we now have a God-man in heaven. And this is what is so powerful. We have Jesus Christ in heaven, who is our advocate and our friend, who goes before God on our behalf, each, each one of us. It's a powerful picture that's painted. In verse 9, it says that God gave him the name that is above every name. See, God has ordained that he would be universally recognized as Lord of heaven and earth. Many people back then did not recognize who he was when he walked on earth. They chose to reject all that he demonstrated in his divinity and being able to do the miracles it's to show that he was God. And they chose to reject that. It was part of God's ultimate plan. He used it so that we might have the forgiveness of our, our sins. And you know, people today, people today still don't know who he is. But here's the thing. There's a day coming. There's a day coming that will, that will change forever. When that day finally arrives, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Regardless of where you're at in your relationship with Jesus Christ, Everyone in this room will bend their knee and recognize that Jesus Christ is God. Amen. That day is coming. All creation, everyone in this community, all creation, all this nation, the whole world will physically bow before the Son of God and acknowledge that he is God. Acknowledge his lordship. Include all creatures in heaven and on earth. This includes angels. This includes all believers in heaven, those living on earth, the dead, the demons, Satan himself under the earth. No one will be left out. All will be included in this universal declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. Bowing the knee, it means submission. You will submit one way or another to him as Lord. Here's the truth. 
Jesus will have the last word. <laughs> he will have the last word. Amen. Even his enemies will bow before him. In the end, there'll be no opposition against him. No one will stand against him. Now, hear this. This is not, did you hear not? This is not universal salvation. But is universal acknowledgement and confession. Not all will be saved, but all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here's the choice each one of us has. We talk about this every Sunday, about having that relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is what it drives to, folks. You can humbly confess him now with joy and experience the fullness of freedom and and, and forgiveness and have a hope for eternity where you will spend eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ and live in the new heaven and earth. You can do that now. Or someday, if you reject him now, someday you'll confess him as Lord in shame and terror. And you'll be rejected and will not spend eternity with God but rather spend it in hell. It's the truth. It's the reality. Now, what does this mean for us as far as our rewards, who are believers in Jesus Christ? For us, for us who have placed faith in Jesus Christ, we've come to that place. We've admitted that we are a sinner. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And we confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and we're choosing to follow, make him Lord of our life, choosing to look to follow after him in our life. What does this mean for us? Well, on that day, we're going to bow, all right? We're going to bow on that day. And here's the thing, though, and we're going to do it with joy in our hearts and probably a song. <laughs> and we're going to lift up praise to God, all right? And uh, we'll get up and go serve him. And it will be some of the best serving you've ever done. You ever get up in the morning and you say, oh, I've got to go to work again today. When you get up in heaven, it's going to be like, all right, I've got to go to work today. It won't be called work. I don't know what it'll be. It'll be like, yeah, we're going out into the garden. We're going out and we're going to delight. And it's going to be like, you'll have a song that you'll be singing out and it will be good and great and wondrous. The joy, the joy we now begin to experience here on earth, just the taste of what we'll experience in fullness, it'll be more than we can ever, ever uh, imagine. I would challenge you this, to consider this as, as uh, just a, as a point of application and reflection. And this is your story prompt for this week. Reflect on your commitment. Where are you at? to living life with Christ-like attitude? Are you committed to it? Continuing to change your attitude, growing that, let that change you? How important is having status in this world versus, hey, I want to, no matter what, I want to glorify God. That's my, that's, that's my MO. That's what drives me. And do you need to refocus that attitude? Here's the thing. That, th this truth, this truth, it, it, we are to be passionate about that flows from our heart has been changed, that we have been changed by Jesus Christ 
and we'll sing of it in our hearts. Now the worship team is going to come and they're going to close this in a final song. But as they do come, I want to leave you with this story. A couple weekends ago, I was up at the church I grew up in high school. Bethany Baptist Church, little town up in Dollar Bay, Michigan, up in the upper Keweenaw Peninsula. And it was their 100th anniversary. My brothers and sister and I, we took my mom and dad, who are 88 now, and, uh, and, and so we took them up for this 100th celebration. They were a part of it. And we got up there and experienced the whole weekend of celebrating pictures and slides and all that went on with their celebration. We had such a great time seeing old friends, people I haven't seen in 40-some years. And so I'm up there, and, at, and I'm looking around, and I come across this young man, and he's got this beard now. I remember when he was five years old, and, uh, and that, but his mom was my Sunday school teacher. And so uh, when I was in high school 15, 16 years ago, uh, she was my high, high school teacher, and so I sought her out, and I went up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her a hug, and I, said, and I said, hey, Nancy, hey, I just want to say thank you for being my, and so I started saying that, thank you for being my Sunday school teacher, I appreciate, we, we really, and she cuts me off, bam, and she goes, Mark, it's you, I need to apologize to you, I go, whoa, 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 and she goes, I need to apologize to you, I go, and she goes, you, do, you, do you remember when I yelled at you in Sunday school class? Yeah, I do. <laughs> you do remember? I go, yes, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I hugged her, wrapped my arms around her, says, I love you. I love you, and I'm sorry for pushing back. I was the pastor's kid, so I had to push back. We had a conversation. <laughs> and I don't know what my dad said to her after that or whatever. But I am taken back by her heart, a Christ-like attitude of humility, that after 44 years, it was on her heart, and she apologized to me. That's amazing. Stand with us as we sing.